Good day, everybody. This is Zachary Kameen, the Curious Christian, and these are Curious Conversations. In this episode of Curious Conversations, we are going to be dealing with exactly how to think in such a way that uh, you can be confident that you're not losing your mind. Uh, We will be dealing with what is called the laws of thought, or laws of logic, from the law of identity, non-contradiction, the law against the middle ground, and uh, the law of inference. Uh, These uh, four steps will allow you to um, better make sure that you can um, be sure that your argument makes sense before you spit it out of your mouth and then everybody makes fun of you about how you made no sense. Uh, Enjoy, uh, take care, and as always, grab some coffee and come to Jesus. The best thing about philosophies, or uh, we'll go into piety, uh, is that they are not necessarily uh, rat or racially or tribalistically or ethnic- ethnically centered. Uh, now, maybe less so with piety, and I'll explain with that. And sometimes with philosophy, uh, there, there's exceptions to the rules, but the exceptions often, I would say, uh, discount and or uh, illegitimize uh, or delegitimize the uh, authority of that philosophy or piety. Uh, There there are pieties, there are religions, I guess is another way to put it, that uh, are ethnocentric. Uh, There is uh, the black Israelite cult that of which I have a uh, acquaintance and a uh, I talk to him often enough and me and him are very cordial and very pleasant with each other. We disagree on most things, uh, but his uh, cult view is that uh, his cult's view is uh, ethnocentric. That's why they're called black Israelites. Uh, they focus on the black they focus on their blackness, their colorness uh, in uh, even beyond. Uh, what we deal with here uh, in America, uh, they they see a lack of color is uh, less good uh, is not as good as uh, more color. Uh, they they are you And that being said, there have been a lot of bad things in the past generations that white people have done. Uh, and I would so scratch that. We are all brown of some sort. Uh, melanin, melanin is in all of us, uh, some less than others, and that melanin is brown. I am brown. Everybody is brown. There is no truly black person. There is no truly white person, even if you're albino. Uh, it does not matter. You are not truly black. All right, that was a, a little bit of a tangent, but still, making the point of uh, racial pieties. Um, and there can be uh, dealing, but especially with philosophies, uh, it's very hard to have uh, a racial aspect to it. Now, you can add a racial aspect to it in your the piety part of philosophy, which I believe you can't have a coherent philosophy without having a section 
dealing with piety uh, because you cannot truly have philosophy without a god of the system you can without an overarching or a found either an overarching or a foundational principle in mind in your philosophy uh, it didn't work for any philosopher before now it won't work with anybody after now so it's not going to work now uh, and you see this with the philosopher Socrates when he's dealing in his day in Athens uh, you know, he asks what is piety he goes through the marketplaces he goes through the streets he goes through the temple uh, he's sacrificing uh, you see a number of cases where he's getting right he talks to somebody while he's on his way to go sacrifice and to one of the gods that I can't recall which one uh, but he asks you know what is piety I'm about to go sacrifice to this God, but it's going to go, you know, it's going to please this God, Lord, you know, if they're willing, if at, you know, Athena's willing or whatever God he's about to sacrifice to. Uh, but he says, but I know it's going to piss off this God who's at basically war with uh, this God. So to please one God is to piss off another. So how can we possibly be call ourselves pious men? How can we call ourselves godly men uh, when we may be uh, men of Athens, but we are no longer men of Aphrodite. Uh, we may seek virginity in the way to please uh, Athena, but then uh, we are uh, pissing off uh, Aphrodite because we're not sleeping around and we're not sleeping with people. And vice versa, if we start sleeping around to please Aphrodite and we do all the other things that Aphrodite wants us to do, uh, then all of a sudden we're, we're taking off uh uh, Athena, or well, let's go, you know, and you keep going on and on. And so he deals with the fact that is it is uh, very difficult to please all the gods. This is some. This is the thing that got him uh, killed uh, or suicided. Is is probably another term that we can use. Uh, he. Uh, in dealing with uh, his, he was accused in dealing with all these uh, philosophical questions. He was accused of corrupting the minds of the youth. His thing was like, no, they were those minds of the youth were corrupted already. Uh, I was simply trying to reveal their corruption and trying to uh, all of us. You know, he saw it themselves as in a sinking ship and. Because of this sinking ship, uh, you know, he's trying to find a way of escape. He's trying to get these youngsters to find a way of escape, too, and just get out of Dodge. Uh, which, of course, they see. He's like, no, we like this sinking ship. You're corrupting the minds of the youth. And uh, so, there, so his point is that there is a problem with philosophy when you're dealing with a pagan and a polytheistic society. You can't be pious when all the gods are at war with each other. Uh, you know, the wars of the gods, the clash of the titans, the clash of the gods, makes it really difficult for Joe Schmo or uh, Plato to uh, worship God rightly and to uh, deal with um, seeking after personal piety or, or public piety or corporate piety or national piety. It's very difficult to do this. So he uh, 
throws his hands in the air and says, you know, it's impossible to be pious in a polytheistic or a pluralistic society as ours. So what do we do? Right? What what can we do? Uh, well, uh, Plato seeks um, to figure this out by whitewashing all the gods, making them pure, uh, and bringing them down to either two choices. One, uh, there are two gods, one an evil god and the other a, a good god, and you can choose which god you want to, and they're equally, it's almost like yin and, yin and yang, they're equally powerful, and so it doesn't really matter which god you choose to worship, uh, as long as you choose one to worship, and uh, it makes it easier for piety. Uh, but then you still fall into the Socrates trap of, well, you can't be truly pious then, because to please, please one of the gods is to piss off the other god. And then you move on to, or you can deal with uh, Plato's other idea, which is that there's one god with, with two personalities. Uh, something like the character Split, or uh, from the movie Split, the uh, multiple personality disordered person. Uh, that there's something in God that makes him do bad things, like create nature. That was, you know, they've seen uh, the physical world as evil, and that the spiritual world as good, and that God, that God did really good when he made the spiritual world, but he did really bad when he um, created the physical world. Uh, he brings in his doctrine of demons. Uh, he sees the demons as those evil gods in which we uh, talk so much about and that they misrepresented the gods uh, who are perfect and pure. Uh, there's been multiple theories that Plato came up with, uh, none of which actually work, and I'll explain here in a minute. Uh, Aristotle is, I have not read much of him. I've been told that he's probably the preferred of the uh, three of the classical trinity, as it were. Uh, if you had to choose between the three, I've been told you should choose either Plato or Aristotle. Uh, I prefer Job or Solomon, or and Solomon. I think they're better philosophers than Plato, at least. I haven't, again, read Aristotle. So, uh, and, and that, that being said, it has to do with Aristotle. He's a powerhouse of epic proportions in his culture, in his ethnicity. But his ethnicity is wrong in the sense of his the polytheistic nature of his philosophy. Him fighting against and figuring out and wrestling with and resisting the, contra the contradiction, the contrary nature of his society and trying to find a virtuous way of life, a way of living a good life, uh, seeking after philosophy in a very antithetical, anti-philosophical, anti-pietistic society, uh, really puts a, makes it difficult to put you in the same court as Job or uh, Solomon, who are philosophers, uh, of which worship the one true God, the, the uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the Trinitarian God of Scripture. Uh, it makes it very difficult to uh, put those two in the same uh, camp and say who is better. Well, obviously, 
uh, Job and Solomon are way better than uh, Plato and Aristotle. But that's not the point of uh, this discussion today. So, uh, I make the point of how uh, the spectrum has begun in one sense. You de- you're dealing with uh, polytheistic philosophies on one end of the spectrum uh, and piety, and you're dealing with uh, the uh, Christian philosophies on the other side of the spectrum. And then what we're going to be dealing with today in this uh, episode is dealing with the spectrum itself uh, and explaining why, as, as a believer, uh, as a Christian, as a obnoxious uh, Christian, I have rejected uh, the other uh, religions uh, principally and uh, logically and uh, rhetorically accurately. But before that, I'm going to take a break and uh, we'll get back after this break. first law that we're going to deal with, which I actually think is the most helpful and probably, in my case at least, uh, the most neglected of the laws of uh, classical discourse, the laws of thought, the laws of logic, whatever term you want to use, uh, I'm going to use the laws of uh, logic and uh, the laws of rhetoric, the laws of thought, I'm going to use them all interchangeably. As I think about it, because it's not really a language that I use very often. I just use the laws. I don't actually talk about the laws very often, if ever. I don't think anyone that I've talked to, I've said, well, the laws of logic. No, I'll usually just say, well, that's a contradiction or that uh, you're not identifying that thing properly. Well, anyways, uh, this uh, segment is going to be dealing with uh, what is called the law of identity. Uh, We are going to be dealing with the laws of identity, uh, which is... Uh, that A is A or A is identical to A. Uh, what that is dealing with is dealing with the nature of the thing, uh, getting idea of uh, what are we talking about. Uh, we don't want to talk over each other's heads. What is the subject of which we are referring to? Uh, if we are dealing with uh, God, uh, then we need to know uh which God are we talking about? This was the question that Socrates was wrestling through. This is the question that Plato was wrestling through and uh, Aristotle was wrestling through. Uh, We are asking, uh, who are the gods? Who is the God uh, that we are worshiping? Uh, And so they wrestled through that. Uh, What is piety? That's another identity issue. Uh, That's why there's so many books coming out which are dealing with uh, identity crisis. Because uh, we don't know who we are. We don't know who God is. We don't know who we are. We don't know what, which makes it mean that we do not know who, what society is. We do not know what anything are. We have no more, we no longer have our bearings because we don't have a foundation to stand on. Uh, we are, uh, as one uh, preacher once put it, we are, as a society, uh, standing firm uh, with two feet planted in midair, which means we're falling. 
Uh, and so, in this one, we are going to be dealing with uh, the law of identity. Uh, this would be something to the effect of uh, trying to argue uh, against Plato by quoting Aristotle. Uh, we are not dealing with Aristotle, we are dealing with Plato. Well, in this case, when I'm dealing with Christianity and dealing with um, the most, uh, the person that we deal with this the most is with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, you will have other religions, you will have Islam, you'll have, or which I would say is a heretical sect of Christianity, which I'll go into later. Uh, same thing with Jehovah's Witnessism and Mormonism and Seventh-day Adventists and things of that nature. Uh, philosophies and religions of that nature uh, are just simply schisms of the church. And uh, you will see uh, very uh, quickly, I guess is one way to put it, uh, that we are not dealing with the same Lord Jesus. Uh, when we're dealing with the identity of Christ, when we're dealing with the identity of the thing, uh, you cannot uh, mix and match. You cannot create a Frankenstein's monster of a Christ. Uh, so, when we're dealing with the Christ of the Bible, we need to read the Bible. We need to know what the Bible actually says. You do not quote the Quran when you're trying to figure out who the Christ of the Bible is. You're going to confuse yourself. And that's why they throw in that law. It is a very important law because you don't want to get it screwed up. If you want to deal with the Christ of Paul, do not quote John. If you want to quote, if you want to find out who the Christ of the Gospels are, you do not quote the epistles. If we're dealing with the Christ of Revelation, well, then we need to read Revelation. That being said, it does not mean that we cannot read other uh, books. It does not mean that we cannot read uh, other things in order to uh, know who Christ is. Uh, what I mean by that is if we're dealing with... Uh, but it, Okay, so it depends on the topic. Well, the point of this law is to identify what the fuck are we talking about? Are we talking about Christ the King in Scripture? Or are we dealing with Christ the King in the Old Testament? Are we dealing with Christ the King to the pagans? Are we dealing with it with the Gnostics? Are, what are we talking about? If, I, if I'm talking to a Jehovah's Witness, I want to know our definitions. It's part of the point of definitions. I want to know what are we talking about? Because if we don't know what we're talking about, then we're not going to be talking about anything. We're going to go on to rabbit trails, and we're going to be doing with that. The point of the law of identity is to focus the fuck in on one thing and talk about that. Uh, so, that being said, when we're dealing with, let's say, uh, a question of is the... Christ of the Quran identical to the Christ of the Gospels? Well, that is an identity question. And so you would spend your whole conversation looking up what does the uh, scriptures talk about when we're talking about the Christ, and then what does the Quran talk about in talking about the Christ? And then you say, okay, here is uh, the uh, identifying marks of both, and you line them up and see what happens. You do the same thing with the Mormons, and you do the same thing with, or with the Book of Mormon, or dealing with the Watchtower magazine. 
or you're dealing with the Council of Nicaea, Chalcedon, uh, the Westminster Standards, what have, what have you, the Apostles' Creed, you line them up and you say, is this like this? Is A, A. That is the point of the uh, th- that law of thought. And that, the whole again, the whole point of the law of thought, I'm going to stress that again, is to help the thinker know what the fuck they're thinking about. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then after that quick break, we'll go into the, another uh, law of thought or logic, or we'll say, we'll just say law of thought. Next thing we're going to talk about is the one that I think that we have the most familiarity with. Uh, and that would be the law of non-contradiction. That is that something cannot be also not something at the same time and in the same relationship. Okay, so this is granting the first law, which is uh, the law of identity, that A is A. Uh, the question becomes that, or the, the point is that A can then not be not A, right? So since in the last segment we talked about uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, talking about Jesus of Scripture, uh, can't say that Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture is also not the Jesus of Scripture. Right? That would be uh, against the law of non-contradiction. Because you are making two contrary statements. Uh, The Jesus of Scripture is not the Jesus of Scripture. Uh, It would be uh, an exercise in contradiction. Now, that being said, somebody could say... um, Let's say you deal with... The Jesus of Scripture is God. Okay. Uh, then that would be a uh, a separate uh, truth. That would be a separate statement uh, that goes alongside uh, that statement. So that would be what would be called a, uh, a complementary uh, statement, or it could be called a a paradox, which is uh, something that's almost, some people may say, almost a contradiction in terms, but it's not. Uh, you could say Jesus is God and Jesus is man. Jesus is man and Jesus is God. Uh, that would be a, in one sense, a paradox because uh, there is anybody who knows who God is when we understand that the identity of God. Who are we talking about when we talk about God? What are we talking about when we talk about God? And then we're talking. We talk about a humanity and manhood and um, the idea of being a man. Uh, then we put them together, and what do you got? Well, you usually deal with two very contrary things in most instances. So when you deal with 
the statements, Jesus is God and Jesus is man, uh, at face value can almost seem as if they are dealing with, or we are dealing with contradictions in terms. But again, we're dealing with not the Jesus of the Quran. I agree that the Jesus of the Quran could not possibly be God. But we're not dealing with the Jesus of the Quran. We're not dealing with the Christ of the Quran. We're dealing with the Christ of the Scriptures. Uh, we're dealing with the Christ of uh, of the Bible. And so, when we're dealing with the... Excuse me. When we're dealing with the Jesus of the Bible, uh, and we identify in our conversation that we are not dealing with a different Jesus, then we can say that Jesus is God and Jesus is man, because we know that we are referring to the Jesus of um, which scripture, of which uh, the Bible is testifying to. Uh, and so that's why it would not be a contradiction in terms in reference to uh, the Jesus of Scripture. Again, I want to repeat one more time. If we were talking about the Jesus of the Quran, then yes, we would be making contradictions in terms. If we were talking about the Jesus of Mormonism, then yes, we would be dealing with contradictions of terms. Uh, and... Excuse me again. Uh, um, and alas, we are not dealing with that. We are dealing with the Jesus of Scripture. Uh, and we can use this with uh, something that's not of um, eternal worth. It's something that's not dealing with uh, the Lord Jesus, but we could be dealing with, um, let's say, uh, whether or not um, you know, I, let's say, Tony crashed the car. And Tony did not crash the car. Okay. Uh, that would be a contradiction in terms. But if you said, uh, Tony crashed the car and somebody crashed into Tony, uh, that would not necessarily be a, a, a contradiction in terms in a conversation. Uh, you could very well say, um, rather quickly, uh, Tony got into a car accident. Or Tony crashed the car. And in the midst of conversation, you could say, yeah, Tony was pulling out of the driveway and somebody hit him. Uh, well, does that no longer mean that Tony crashed the car? Well, possibly in the relationship of him and the insurance company, sure, he didn't actually, he himself is not at fault. So he is not the one who actually instigated the crash. And so he would no longer in that relationship be considered uh, crashing the car. Uh, but it would be the other person. Let's call her Sarah. Uh, and in dealing with... Uh, but but in normal conversation, it's okay to say, Oh, Tony crashed the car. Or Tony got into a car accident. Uh, and that would be perfectly fine to say in normal conversation. Uh, you can say the sky is blue, except when it's not. Right? Uh right now the skies are blue as I'm outside but then uh, in the mornings or early early in the mornings it's black um, and somewhat purple 
uh, and then early or late in the evening, same thing. And at dusk and dawn, it's all kinds of colors. It can be uh, yellow, orange, red, uh, that kind of spectrum. Sometimes it's purple and pink, and uh, sometimes it just goes straight to blue. You know, that from what I notice um, at times and. Uh, those statements uh, do not necessarily contradict themselves. Uh, what it is is that uh, at different times and in different relationships uh, could very well be those colors. Uh, right now the sky is blue, but give it about an hour and it might be uh, a different shade of blue or it might be uh, red or it might be orange or what have you. Uh, I hope that gives you an idea of uh, when you're dealing with thinking about things and when you're talking to people about things, uh, don't be so quick to call, say somebody's contradicting themselves or lying or mistaken. Uh, they may be uh, using paradoxes to um, actually help clarify the situation. Uh, they may be mucking the waters up a bit and you may want to clear that up. Uh, which is perfectly fine. If somebody is accidentally contradicting themselves, uh, then that's one thing. But if uh, they are um, dealing with different relationships where, where they say, you know, uh, Tony got into a car accident and he reported um, to the insurance company about how Sarah crashed into him. Uh, you know, if you... You don't have to say, well, which is it? You know, did he was did he crash the car or did Sarah crash into his car? You, know, you don't have to be so grammar Nazi-ish. Uh, it's basically true. Uh, in relationship to him and his car, he crashed the thing. Uh, but in relationship between him, his car, and insurance company, uh, he's not at fault in the matter. And so he doesn't want to say that he crashed the car because he didn't. Uh, hope that makes sense. Uh, that being said, let me repeat. Uh, a is not A at the same time. Or A is not not A at the same time in the same relationship. Uh, Su that being said, Susie can be uh, Tom's wife and also Billy's mom. But <coughs> uh, Susie cannot be uh, Tom's mom and Tom's wife. If she is, they got some serious problems of paradoxical proportions that I do not want to divulge today. Something I forgot to mention during the last segment was that the point of the law of non-contradiction or another point a very good point i might add is that it keeps the thinker or keeps the speaker or the debater from uh, too abruptly adding a topic uh, it keeps you on point keeps you on tests it keeps tangents from being uh, a thing uh, i have often in conversations with people 
and I just recently did this with a gentleman at my work where uh, we'll be talking, he'll ask me a question, I'll be answering it, and he'll ask me another question in the midst of that statement, and I tell, tell him I don't care about that um, question. And, but I'm real quick to mention, it's, like, it's not that I don't care about it ever, but in this moment of me answering your question now, I don't want to have to uh, change the topic. You know, it's like if you're using a, you know, visualize using, you know, you're in your tool shed and you're using a hacksaw for something and all of a sudden somebody hands you a screwdriver. I don't care about the screwdriver right now, I'm using the hacksaw. I'm using uh, the hammer, or I'm using, you know, whatever. Right? I don't need a screwdriver when I'm using hammer and nail right now. Um, if, I, if I'm needing the screwdriver, something terribly has happened, and please get me away from the table now before I throw something. Right? Uh, but in this segment, I want to deal with uh, the idea of. Uh, the middle ground. Uh, this is surpri- surprising to some people. Uh, this is absolutely contrary to many people in America, in marriage, and things like this. Uh, this is uh, something that uh, has helped me in my marriage. It is the idea of there is no middle ground um, in dealing with thought. Uh, what this is doing what this law is for is to keep you from doubting what you're, you actually believe or what you actually think. Uh, if you think, if, if what you're saying is true, then don't doubt it. Uh, don't step back, don't bring it back, don't uh, uh, scale it back. Uh, be as true about it as possible. Uh, don't beat around the bush about it. Be, be as straightforward as possible. And then find out whether or not it's true. Uh, and this is something that happened. I'm gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna keep using the Lord Jesus uh, because he's the uh, been debated on how his nature works for uh, millennia. And one of the things that early, the early church dealt with is uh, the natures of Christ, him being God and being man. Uh, how does this work? How can he both be truly God and truly man? And one of the things that the uh, church in uh, Chalcedon, it wasn't just them, it was the whole church, many of the leaders of the whole church uh, came together in the city of Chalcedon, and uh, it, after much deliberation, much debating, uh, came up with this uh, definition of faith where they say uh, that, they're, and in the midst of it, talking about uh, the nature of Christ's union of his divine and human nature, they say that uh, that he is truly God and truly man, uh, that there is no mixture or confusion, separation or division. Uh, now, the things that I want to deal with, so last segment was dealing with the uh, division or the uh, separation, uh, basically uh, dividing Christ, uh, saying that, in, that would be dealing with the contradiction, saying that uh, the that his humanity and his deity are so contrary that you have to separate them. While uh, in this case with uh, the law against uh, mixing, 
or yeah, the law against the middle ground, you are dealing with uh, the idea of mixing or confusing. Uh, and you may say, well, you're certainly confusing me right now, so you are breaking the uh, law of the middle ground. And I grant you, but I mean, if anything, that's a great uh, point of why you shouldn't uh, break the law of the middle ground, because when you break the law of the middle ground, and you do, uh, you, in essence, become confusing. And this only happens when you deal with paradox. This only happens when you deal with uh, a seeming contradiction or even contradictory terms. When you try to fit, uh, well, just say it like this, uh, same-sex mirage, or same, well, what the Supreme Court calls same-sex marriage, uh, is a mixture or it is a middle ground uh, it uh, it makes it's a compromise uh, in thought you do not compromise in thought uh, the whole point of seeking truth the whole point of talking about truth the whole point about talking about true things or thinking about true things is to find a way to not compromise on the topic uh, the the uh, law of the middle ground keeps the thinker from compromising ever. And this is uh, one of the reasons why even unbelievers who are just well thought, who have decent enough thoughts, uh, who at least follow the law of the middle ground, realize, well, Uh, you can't do that with marriage. Marriage is not about what the sexual revolution has turned it into. Um, I may grant a lot of things, but I do not grant uh, homosexuals, I do not grant lesbians or uh, sodomites to uh, marry. And it's not because I don't allow, it's that God doesn't allow. And because my conscience is pricked by the word of God because uh, I believe God's word and God in his kindness has uh, conformed much of my inclinations towards what he's inclined to as well as he's revealed in his word. Uh, I, you know, no, no, you, should, you shall not, a man shall not lay with a man as um, a man does a woman. Uh, that's a no-go. Uh, and so we deal with uh, these contradiction in terms, and then all of a sudden some people rush to the middle ground theory. Um, and this can often happen in the midst of debate and marriage. Uh, this is not a good uh, habit to make in marriage. Uh, compromise in marriage is not a good thing. It's illogical to compromise uh, in thinking. That means you're a divided household. Uh, stop being divided. We, we should not be a divided household. Uh, if, if in your marriage, you should not be a divided household. There's a reason why God has put the man as the head of the family, uh, of his wife and in uh, effect the children. His whole household is under his headship. And so you deal with 
a very practical issue of what happens when when husband and wife disagree. Well, the husband wins. Uh, well, why is that? Well, because you should not seek after compromise. Uh, it is uh, the reason why there is no feeling of winning when you compromise, when you seek after the middle ground, is because it is goes against thought and often in uh, even if it is not unbiblical in the sense of there's no direct commandment stating you should not uh, compromise, but it is certainly irrational, illogical, and goes against the very nature of uh, how these things work. Uh, so that means, again, uh, the law of the middle ground, do not compromise on your thoughts. Uh, see it to the end and see whether it's right or not. If it's wrong, then to hell with it. Stop keeping it. Uh, if it is correct, then keep it and don't compromise it. If you're willing to compromise it, then it just shows that you do not actually think that what you believe is worth thinking about. And in that case, they should just drop it. The very last law, and this is a tricky law, uh, in that it's not very, it's not used um, as openly as the other. Uh, three, uh, but it is often, I would say, the most powerful, as as it is the most primal of the uh, laws, and that is the law of inference or the rule of inference. Uh, and this is usually where you get your conclusion. Uh, all the other ones help you dictate the process in which you get to the conclusion, the law of inference is uh, in direct relation to the conclusion. Uh, you are basically, it's adding up all of the information. You've removed all the contradictions, you've removed all the middle grounds, you've removed all of the, um, you've, you've removed all the misidentifications, and now what do you have? Uh, what can you infer? What can you uh, bring about that then uh, shows that this is the case. Now, like such as dealing with uh, scripture again, uh, dealing with the divine trinity. Uh, why do we have? Why do? The, why did the Christian Church uh, come to the conclusion that God is uh, three persons in one essence, or three subsistences in one essence, in one substance? Uh, why? Bec well, because. Uh, we read our Bibles uh, faithfully, diligently, with much coffee in our system, and uh, with the Holy Spirit guiding us. And we, re we read uh, very simply that uh, Scripture says that the Son is God, that the Lord Jesus is God, that many people call Him God and worship Him as God, uh, that the Lord Jesus refers to the Father as God, and that other people call the Father God, and that 
uh, the apostles who called the Lord Jesus God also called the Holy Spirit God. And uh, so since scripture is calling uh, the Father God and calling the Son God and calling the Holy Spirit God, but then at the same time uh, show distinction between a very obvious and very visible and very uh, relatable distinction between uh, the Father, that the Father and the Son are two different people, for they uh, speak about each other, talk about each other, uh, point to each other, uh, not pointing to themselves. Uh, this, uh, so you have these two uh, very uh, distinct uh, situations, these identities, uh, that all three of them are being called God, yet all three of them are being distinguished between one another. And so the Christian church then says, we then infer from the law of inference that we will uh, refer to this uh, with one word that is a trinity, uh, which is that they are uh, are uh, again three persons, uh, one essence. Uh, why? Because that's how this, that's how the scriptures draw it up, and the church is seeking to be faithful, recognizing uh, the different statements, and uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is the only doctrine that does not contradict. It does not misidentify, and it does not uh, seek a middle ground. Right? And so that is that's where the conclusion comes. Now this this creates you know, or this can be seen when you're dealing with other complicated issues when you're dealing with day to day things such as uh, who stole the cookie from the mother loving cookie jar. Everybody's saying it's not me, but yet, you know, Sally has the crumbs all over her face. Uh, Jacob has chocolate chip marks all over his hands. And, uh, you know, Peggy, uh, the infant, is still crawling around in the crumbs. You can then dictate that all three of them have stolen the cookies from the cookie jar. You've listened to a pleasant half hour of curious conversations. To continue the conversation online, go to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and search for Zachary Kameen. To get more from the Curious Christian, go to curiousconversations.blog. And as always, drink some coffee and come to Jesus.